Hello, thank you so much for uh, having me here. It's been such a joy and a privilege to uh, worship uh, with all of you. Um, I also did not realize that your pastor plays double duty as the funky drummer. I've never seen that before, so I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, just by uh, a quick way of introduction, uh, my name is Joe Yu, and I'm currently the uh, community group director for Redeemer Presbyterian Church's Westside Congregation. Um, I just started in my role. For the past two years, I was its uh, their youth ministry director, and for four years prior to that, um, I worked in the college ministry. And uh, one of the things that I noticed uh, while doing uh, college ministry and youth ministry, and one of the things that I realized about uh, really uh, myself and, and anybody here, I um, realized that there's a huge disconnect between what students know and what they really, really know. And as you know, there's an unprecedented amount of information that's available for us literally uh, uh, at our fingertips. And what I've realized is that with that, uh, instead of bringing it uh, clarity, oftentimes it brings uh, confusion to us. You know, what do we do uh, with all of that information? And I found that for myself and for the students that I minister to quite often, uh, all of this knowledge is really tempting to just kind of store it away as mere information. And it's become harder than ever to really internalize and to reflect on what we know and let the knowledge that we have in our heads come alive, so to speak. Um, just a silly uh, example of that from my life, and it actually it was a pretty powerful example. Um, my first introduction to youth ministry, uh, this was about two years ago, uh, came in the form of leading a bunch of students to an amusement park out in uh, Pennsylvania. And I thought, okay, this is a nice little introduction into the ministry. You know, I'm terrified of heights. So I'm not going to go on any roller coasters. Uh, I'm going to spend some time getting to know the students on the ground, and I'm going to get to know uh, the other youth ministry staff. Uh, one thing that I did not realize about myself, however, was that at 33 years old, I was not beyond uh, being peer pressured uh, by 13-year-olds. Uh, so after about uh, 30 minutes of uh, middle schoolers egging me on and taunting me, uh, questioning my call into pastoral ministry even, I finally, I finally cave in and I decided to go on uh, this roller coaster ride and I'm, and I'm sitting there, I'm having the harness kind of come over me, my heart is racing, uh, my palm is sweaty and my mouth is dry and as the same students that were encouraging me to go on this ride is now taunting me saying that this is going to be the end of my life, um, I could... I could hardly hear what the kids uh, were, were, were talking to me about. Uh, and the whole time I was telling myself, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And you're going to be okay. And what's happening at that time was, you know, in my head, I know all things considered, uh, I'm going to be okay. But what I was doing was I was trying my best to uh, get the knowledge that was in my head down into my heart so that it becomes knowledge that is uh, experienced to hopefully bring assurance in the midst of what at the time was uh, abject uh, terror that I was experiencing. And uh, as I was praying for this church and, and really considering uh, what to uh, talk to you about, I thought of Paul's prayer for the church in the first chapter of Ephesians. And it's powerful because what he's asking for can actually give you the kind of spiritual vitality that can carry you through uh, whatever circumstances of life. So what I, want to read for you, what I want to do is read for you Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this beautiful Sunday uh, to come together as a covenant family to, uh, to worship you. And we pray that as we uh, dig into your word, we pray for your, uh, the working of your spirit. Uh, pray that you'll open up our hearts and our minds uh, to, so that we may see uh, your glory and your goodness and your beauty. And I pray that, um, that the reality of who you are and what you've done, uh, pray that that will define who we are and how we live our lives uh, from here on out. And so we pray uh, that you'll speak through your word powerfully this morning. We pray on all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at this passage and you ask, okay, what is he asking for? Right? He's praying for uh, the church in Ephesus. And what he's asking for, if you get to the heart of the passage, he's asking for an experiential knowledge of what they already have just by being a Christian. And here's what Paul is praying. That the benefits that these Christians have of being in Christ will become knowledge that just doesn't live in their heads, but becomes knowledge that is experienced and lived out. The kind of knowledge that can make them immovable in the face of anything that life throws at them. And so what I'd like for us to do is look into this prayer and consider three things. We're going to learn that Paul prays that they have a knowledge of, first, a greater hope, secondly, an inner wealth, and lastly, a stronger power. He's praying that we have a knowledge of, an experiential working knowledge of, a greater hope, an inner wealth, and a stronger power. So first, let's consider the greater hope. If you look at, it comes out in verse 18. Paul prays that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now I want to kind of meditate on that right there. That you may know the hope to which he has called you and ask two questions. What does it mean to be called first? And secondly, where is this hope? What is he talking about when he talks about hope? So first, what does it mean to be called? Now, when we think of calling... I think many of us uh, think of vocation, right? Something that you do. I'm called into business. I'm called into the arts. Uh, some of us may say, uh, I am called into ministry. And while that is certainly a possibility, uh, it's much more when the Bible talks about uh, calling. When the Bible talks about calling, it's actually talking about a shift in identity, right? Who you are. 
And so when Christianity talks about calling, it's presenting to us a vision of humanity that is far greater than our dreams of self-actualization can take us. Because it is saying, God is the one who is calling in you into a shift in this identity. So what does this call look like? And I think uh, here C.S. Lewis is really helpful for us. This is what he says when he talks about this calling. He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine, a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for. Nothing less. That's what Lewis is talking about when he meditates on the calling that every Christian is called into and is saying that's what the final destination looks like. One day everything wrong about you is going to be fixed and everything that is right about you is going to be perfected. Now what's glorious about what this passage tells us about this calling is that you're already on your way there if you are a Christian. When you are called... When there is a shift in identity, that's what you are being made into. That's, you are already on your way there. And you are being changed in the here and now. Right? That's what Paul is calling, uh, talking about when he talks about calling. Now that sounds wonderful, but we're not done. Because we also have to ask, now, okay, he's talking about this hope of the calling. Now what is this hope that he's talking about? And the reason why I bring up this word and, and for us to consider is because when we use the word hope, most of us uh, use it to convey this kind of vague longing and desire. Right? We think about our children. I hope my children grow up to be like this. Uh, I hope my business grows. I hope for this and that. And it's talking about this vague longing and desire to be a certain way, but we're not quite sure. Now, when we consider this calling and say, okay, we, I hope that I am called, if this beautified, kind of this perfected vision of you that the Bible talks about is just that, right? A someday maybe kind of hope. It's actually not as helpful, is it? But when the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about a looking forward to with joyful certainty. A looking forward to with joyful certainty. So what Paul is saying is if you are a Christian, you can know this future that you have is absolutely certain. Is absolutely certain. Now, how can we be certain? And this is an obvious point, but I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, Because if you look at who is doing the calling, you will notice it's not you, but it's God who is the one who is doing the calling. It's not you who worked out some kind of ambition that you worked out in your mind and you have this beautified, uh, perfected vision of yourself that you're aspiring towards. No, it is God who is doing the calling And this is God's vision for you. And so if you look in the Bible, at God's calling in the Bible, what you'll notice is that it's always on God's initiative. And it's actually never prompted by human goodness or perfection. This is what I mean. If you look back in the Old Testament, here's a great example from Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this is God speaking to his people through Moses. And it says, The Lord did not set his affection on you, And choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples. 
But it was because the Lord loved you that he rescued you from slavery. Never prompted by human goodness or initiative. Now let's skip forward to the New Testament. If you look at 1 Corinthians 1, here's here's what it says. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See what's going on there? It's never initiated by human goodness, human initiative. But it's always initiated by God. Now, if you begin to realize that God has called you, not because you presented him with a flawless resume, but out of his sheer grace and love for you, two things are going to happen. Number one, you'll always be hopeful about yourself. If you were to internalize this, if you were to really know this, you'll always be hopeful about yourself. No matter what happens to you during this process in which you are called to, you'll be able to trust that the God who called you into this wonderful process is the same God who will bring it to completion. So no matter what happens, no matter how low you are brought down, you'll be able to say with confidence, God is not done with me yet. You're always going to be hopeful about yourself. But what's also true is if you're always hopeful about yourself, you'll know that this is not just true of yourself, but it must be true of others as well. That means there's never a person that is beyond hope. Is there anyone in your life that you look at and you kind of roll your eyes and and you dismiss them? Well, if your view of humanity is informed by the hope that we're talking about here, you'll never be able to do that. Because if you were called not by your resume, but out of the sheer grace of God, what would make you think that anyone else is beyond hope, including yourself? Now, I just I have to say this um, on the side, uh, as an applicational aside. Uh, so some of you may be kind of processing this and thinking through it in your mind, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm engaged in a friendship or a relationship uh, that is not necessarily good for me. I might, uh, might even call it destructive. Are you, are you telling me that I need to kind of stick it through? And, uh, because, you know, there's never a person that is beyond hope. So I know that this friendship and, and, and relationship is destructive for me. Are you, are you telling me to stay in, in it? And the answer is no. Because if you look again, it's actually the hope of God's calling. And this is what I have to emphasize. It's not your calling. Now, when you have a person in your life that is constantly doing wrong against you, right? if you're engaged in a a relationship or a friendship that is destructive for you and the other person, it actually, and you know this, it it takes a great act of courage and of hope to disengage from that and entrust that person to the one who is doing the calling. To be able to say, no, I've done my best, and the greatest act of love that I can engage this person with is not for me to stay engaged in this relationship or friendship, but for me to have this hope of calling for this person is actually to disengage because it's destructive for me and for this other person. It takes a great act of courage, humility, and hope to, to do that. Now, with that being said, it actually does inform how you view that person, doesn't it? 
right? It's one thing to disengage from a relationship or a friendship uh, while dehumanizing that person and dismissing them. But it's a whole other thing to do it uh, with a lot of pain, but with uh, hope and with a lot of prayer to disengage with that person. You see, there are two very different ways uh, to go about it. Is this how you view humanity? People that are difficult in your life, are you constantly looking at them with the hope that the gospel provides? Now, because if you really understood the hope that comes from knowing that you're called by God, you'll never give up on yourself, uh, nor will you ever give up on others you love. Because you'll understand that there's never, they're never beyond the reach of God's calling in the here and now towards a glorious future. Because that's the hope that you can have in Christ, in greater hope. So that's the first point, we can have greater hope. But secondly, I want to take a look at the inner wealth that Paul's, Paul prays that we know. Uh, it says in verse 18, he prays that we may experience the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I also want to break this sentence down, hope to do justice to this amazing phrase. Uh, I gave it a lot of thought this week. He talks about his glorious inheritance saying God has a glorious inheritance, something that he looks at that makes him feel rich, something that he considers his prized possession. Now, if what the Bible talks about when he talks about God is true, and God is indeed the wealthiest being in the entire universe, what could possibly make him feel rich? What could possibly be so beautiful, radiant, and glorious to him that has the distinguished designation of God of being God's glorious inheritance. And it says right here, it's in his saints, his people, Christians. That means if you are a Christian, that means that you are God's glorious inheritance. A commentator put it this way that really helped me understand this. He said, God's people are his inheritance, his own possession, in whom he will display to the universe the untold riches of his glory. Let me read that again. He says, God's people are his inheritance, his own possession, in whom he will display to the universe the untold riches of his glory. This is what it's saying. When God is showing off his glory to the universe... The crown jewel, the pinnacle of his creative energy, when he wants to show that off, he doesn't point to the mountain ranges. He doesn't point to the glorious seas. He points to you and me. He points to a Christian. And he says, he is it. And he says, she is it. Uh, I remember a decade ago, I visited a country in East Africa. It's called Eritrea. And we stayed at the, the capital city uh, called Asmara. And uh, its elevation is 8,000 feet above sea level. Now, I couldn't really wrap my mind around it until somebody told me. Uh, Denver, many of you know, is, is really uh, high up. Uh, Denver is actually around 5,000 feet above sea level. So it's much higher than Denver is. And I'll never forget looking at the night sky there for the first time. Right, you know, obviously, it's, it, you know, the higher you up, the closer you are to the to the stars and the moon. And I still can't uh, forget just looking at the night sky for the first time and and seeing the stars, you know, scattered across the pitch black sky and the, and this giant moon shining across it, about to it felt like it was about to spill out of the sky and fall on you. 
And I just remember standing there for what felt like minutes, you know, just mouth agape, you know, gazing up uh, in wonder. And I'm sure, you know, many of you, you know, you can insert your own uh, experience with nature where you're just caught in this awestruck wonder of what's in front of you. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you know what this passage is saying when it says that if you are a Christian, that you are God's glorious inheritance? It's saying as beautiful and as humbling as that experience may have been, that it pales in comparison to the beauty that God sees in you. Above everything else in all of creation, that creation looks to you with awestruck wonder as God shows us off as his glorious inheritance. Now, when you're listening to this, it almost sounds wrong, doesn't it? (laughs) You have this whole creation in front of you and says, you know. And yet, Paul is praying that you experience this wondrous gaze of God upon you. Right? That's the kind of inner wealth that is available for you. I want to ask, do you have this inner wealth that flows out of you in knowing how God sees you? Right? How do you take criticism from other people? How do you handle suffering and difficulties in your life? How do you deal with your own insecurities? Do you do, how do you, do you deal all of that with the knowledge of the riches that you have? This unshakable confidence in knowing that you are God's glorious inheritance. First, Paul talks about a greater hope. And secondly, he talks about an inner wealth that is available to be known. And lastly, Paul talks about a stronger power. So let's look at that point, stronger power. Now, I want to read for you uh, verse 19 to 23, because this uh, gets at the heart of that. So let me read this for you. You may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you are a Christian, you need to know that there's an incomparably great power that's at work in your life. The kind of power that is able to order all of history that is being exerted for your sake. To make Romans 8.28 come true. A lot of us may know this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Right, No matter what happens in your life, regardless of whether you blew an interview for what you thought was a dream job or you lost a man or a woman that you thought was the one for you or something that terribly wrong was, was done to you. And I'm not saying this flippantly. But if Christianity is true, what this passage is saying is that you don't have to be haunted by those things. And that you'll be able to say with certainty, in the words of John Newton, the great hymn writer, everything is necessary that God sends our way, and nothing can be necessary that he withholds. 
Um, <clears throat> I've been listening to uh, a lot of jazz lately. I actually love listening to uh, hip hop and, and rap and R and B and that kind of a thing. Um, but I, you know, whenever I listen to music, I try to listen to it with my son, who is uh, four years old. Uh, and I've noticed there's not a lot of rap music that I can listen to with my four-year-old. And so I say, okay, well, what's the next best thing that I can listen to? It's a lot of jazz music. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I find that this concept of, of improvisation is fascinating. Where uh, there's a note that seems out of place or, or feels wrongly played, right, is expertly weaved back into the music in a way uh, that makes the experience not less but more beautiful uh, as a result. It's just fascinating for me to uh, listen to that, especially when you listen to live jazz. It's amazing. Now, what this passage is saying is that God has the power to do that in your life. right? All of the twists and turns, right? all the places where you felt like you've colored outside the lines and you think you've ruined it, you've ruined your chances, He's able to take all of that and make it beautiful. To make it beautiful. And you may think, that sounds impossible. How in the world is he going to do that? We're given the evidence right here. In the passage. God had the power to take an act of unspeakable evil. Right? The crucifixion of the Son of God in Jesus Christ. And turn it into the greatest act of goodness the world has ever seen. By raising him from the dead. And securing salvation for all of his people. And what he's saying is he is now taking that power and he rules everything for the sake of the church. His people to experience the fullness of who he is and what he has done for you. We're given the evidence right here. Now that's how you can be confident in the face of any trials, tribulations, or turmoil in your life. When you know... That the one who is in control of the whole universe has called you, is absolutely in love with you and cherishes you as his glorious inheritance and is working his power for your good. Now here's what it means to be a Christian. Paul is praying for the church that we may take this knowledge and experience it in all of our life. And as you do that, it will begin to change you into the beautiful and radiant creature that one day you will fully be. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for bringing us here and to have us sit uh, under your word. Father, it's almost too much to, <laughs> to even think about um, all the things that are available to us. And so, Father, we thank you uh, for making it available to us. We pray um, that your Spirit um, will work in our hearts so that we may uh, take all of these things, um, that this knowledge of the benefits that we have in Christ uh, will not just be knowledge that lives up in our head, but I pray that it will make, our, make its way down to our hearts so that we may experience it in our life. Um, we pray for renewed confidence and humility that comes from knowing that we are your beloved. And may that uh, dictate, uh, may that control uh, the way we live our lives and engage with others. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.